passage, Matthew 6, 16 through 18, and then we'll pray. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received a reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, these are your words. These are what you have given me to proclaim your precious word, Lord. It's your passage as we've talked about so often in the last couple of months. Lord, just give me the strength. You know, my mind is wandering. My mind is going all over the place, Lord. But you are our great provider, Lord. And we'll give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So as we approach this text, it is good to remember the preceding context, okay? So I'm going to take us back on a journey the last month and a half. Uh, Early in this passage, as Dwayne, through the Lord Jesus Christ, he warned us against the hypocrisy in giving. And he called upon us to be concerned about the giving for the glory of God rather than men. Then Matt warned us against the hypocrisy in praying. And he called upon us to be concerned about praying for the glory of God rather than men. And in the last two weeks, Matt and Chris has gave us an example of what sincere, heartfelt prayer will look like. The Lord's Prayer. Today I have the privilege, through God's strength, In this passage before us today, Jesus warns us against hypocrisy and fasting. And he called upon us to be concerned about fasting for the glory of God rather than men. Okay, just like he did for giving, just like he did for praying, this passage talks about fasting. Sadly, And I say, sadly, this is what one of my favorite preachers said about this passage, John Stott. He said this, here is a passage of scripture which is commonly ignored. I suspect that some of us live our Christians' lives as if these verses have been torn out of our Bibles, or we just kind of roll over them. You see, most Christians lay stress on giving. We have an offering. We lay stress on praying. But few lay stress on fasting. I hope that we are the exception to the rule, but I suspect, and I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else here, 
that we need a strong reminder on the matter ourselves. In fact, I suspect that the text before us should prove quite convicting for many of us. You see, in this passage, we're going to see three things. Number one, Jesus assumes that we will fast, okay? That's the first assumption he makes. Jesus assumes that we will fast. Secondly, Jesus warns us against hypocritical fasting. And finally, Jesus admonishes us to heartfelt fasting. So first of all, notice that Jesus says this to the disciples. When you fast, okay, not if you fast, or by the way, no, he says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. You see, he clearly presupposes that they will fast, even if not until a later time. If you don't remember that, let's go back to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 15. He's talking to the disciples of John, and the disciples of John came to him saying this, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to him this, to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So yes, Jesus did not expect that his disciples would fast while he was still with them. But he clearly did expect that they would fast after he was taken away. Which refers to after his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Not surprisingly, then the Bible clearly shows that Jesus' followers did indeed fast. Okay? I want to share with you a few passages that clearly shows that they did fast. First one, Acts, 6, Acts 13. Let me read the first three verses to you. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and Menin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You see, here we see a couple of purposes for fasting. First of all, fasting helps us to seek the Lord's guidance and can even be done as a group. Secondly, fasting can accompany praying for and setting apart certain people for ministry. That's one of the number one reasons for fasting, is to set apart certain people 
for ministry. This no doubt involves praying for God's empowerment and protections for them as they embark upon an important ministry. Follow Paul in Acts 14.23. He again reminds us of the importance of fasting. So when they, referring to Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders in every church, this is very convicting to me, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, we see that fasting is a part of committing men to service for the Lord. Just observe this, that they've prayed and fasted in every church, not some churches, every church when they appointed elders. In other words, this was commonly done when setting men apart for ministry in the early church. It is the example the Apostle Paul have left us. The late J.I. Packard appropriately expanding the application of this principle, has observed this. He says this, We tend to think of fasting as going without food, but we can fast from anything. If we love music and decide to miss a concert to spend time with God, that's fasting. You see, it is helpful to think of fasting as a parallel of human friendship, okay? Let me just talk about human friendship here. When friends need to be together, they will cancel all other activities to make that possible. There's nothing magical about fasting. Let me make that real plain here, okay? There is nothing magical about fasting. It is just one way of telling God that your priority at the moment is to be alone with him. And you're alone with him to sort out whatever is necessary. And you've canceled the meal, you've canceled the party, you've canceled the concert, and you canceled whatever you needed to cancel to fulfill that priority. Another example of fasting may be seen in Paul's description about his suffering as an apostle. I love this passage. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 5 says this. But in all things, okay, notice, I, I, I always love the word all because all means what? It means all, okay? Okay, it doesn't mean a few things, it means all. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleepiness. Here it comes. In fastings, clearly saw, Paul saw fasting and fasting often, notice, does it say fasting? No, fastings, okay? The plural, 
He knew that fasting was one sign of the genuineness of his apostolic ministry. Fasting was simply one of those things a true apostle did. This point is further emphasized later in that same epistle. Okay? We all know this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He continues this thought. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and neck nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches notice that fasting mentions separately from hungers and thirsting right Paul may have had to suffer hunger and thirst at times though no choice of his but fasting is different because it is an active, willful decision on us as Christians. So you see, in the early church, especially if Paul may be taken as an example, and I think, you know, how many, how many epistles did Paul wrote, right? You know, lots, okay? Fasting was common. Just as Jesus assumed it would be, right? Go back to that passage. What does it say? And when you fast. In fact, based on his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus assumed fasting would be as common as, oh, say giving, and praying, okay? But what about you and me? Is it just as common? Can we say that fasting has been a common part of our Christian lives? I can say probably not. I'm guilty. Would we think of fasting as an ordinary practice just as we would think of praying or giving as a common practice? I hope so. But if not, then we should all be encouraged to include fasting as an important spiritual discipline in our lives. But as we will see in this passage, we should be very, very careful on how we do it. Because you see, Jesus teaches in this passage by comparing wrong fasting with right fasting. Just like he compared when Dwayne preached wrong giving from right giving. Or when Matt and Chris wrong praying and right praying. Which brings me to my second point. Not only does he assume that we will fast... But Jesus warns us against hypocritical fasting. That appearance of fasting. Let me read verse 16 again. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. 
For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay. Most people that know me know I like when I preach, I like to have a whole bunch of translations. Okay. Well, let me give you a couple of translations of the passage I just read. The Phillips translation puts it this way. Then when you fast, don't look like those miserable play actors. For they deliberately disfigure their faces so that people may see that they are fasting. Believe me, they have had all their reward. You see, the hypocrites like to go around looking like they were fasting so that other people would notice how spiritual they are. As Jesus described them, they'd go around with a sad countenance and they would disfigure their faces so that they would appear to be fasting to others. But precisely does, what does precisely Jesus mean about being sad or disfiguring their faces? Well, let's look at it, okay? First, what does it say? They're gloomy, okay? I, oh, I think in other translations, they say they have a sad countenance, okay? That just literally means to look sad, to look somber, to look downcast, grim-faced. Either because one is a hypocrite, like in this passage, or the other time that this, pa- this word is used is in Luke 24, that's on the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, okay? You see, those two were sad because they believed in the hopelessness of Jesus' crucifixion rather than believing what Christ had really told them, okay? They had a sad countenance because they didn't understand it. The present imperative here is a command that tells us and tells the hypocrites to stop the practice. Okay, end it right now. The Pharisees would put on a gloomy face to broadcast to all they encountered that they were actively fasting. Let me ask you this thought. You're going to notice I'm going to ask you a bunch of thoughts today. Because I want to make this... applicable to us do we I want us introspectively look at this do we ever pretend to be holy before others to impress them sadly flesh is always seeking the limelight which is why Galatians tells us to continually walk in the spirit Secondly, not only did they, were they gloomy, but they were being noticed by men. This is the reward the hypocrites desire. That verb to be noticed literally means to shine or produce light to appear to be something that they really weren't. 
Here's a thought. If we're honest, if we're honest, okay, and I want us to, you know, sometimes we put our church face here. Okay, I don't want, to, I don't want us, our Sunday go meeting thing, I want us to be honest here. If we're honest, we would all agree that is, it is in a sense rewarding when others compliment about our spiritual discipline, right? Or they compliment about us being so devoted to coming to church every Sunday. Oh, devoted, they see us praying. Well, you see, the cry from the depths of our heart, not just our lips, should this be this instead. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. How you fast depend on whom you want to impress. If you fast is for your spiritual benefit and God's glory, then no one else needs to applaud it. John Piper adds this about it. Few things feel more gratifying to the heart of fallen men than being made much of for our accomplishments. All of this we are prone to do because of our seemingly insatiable appetite for the praise of men. We want, as a society, to be made much of. We want people to like us. We want people to admire us. We want the people to speak well of us. You know, it's a deadly drive Jesus warned us about, right? If you don't remember, let me remind it to you. Whosoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whosoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You see, these hypocrites, instead of trying merely to look sad, these hypocrites should have actually been saddened by their own spiritual bankruptcy. And they should have repented of their sinful pride. They should also have known better. You know, one thing that the Pharisees and all these hypocrites said is, oh, we want to do everything with the Old Testament. Well, I think they forgot Isaiah 53. Especially verse, I mean, not Isaiah 53. They forgot that too, but Isaiah 58. Okay? Here's Isaiah 58. And I'm only going to read a couple of verses. It says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our soul and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. If you go further in this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah asks a bunch of rhetorical questions. Okay, we all know what a rhetorical question is, right? Okay, it's an answer. It's a question that we absolutely already know the answer to. And he asks these rhetorical questions to probe the hearts 
of these people about their motives for fasting. You see, in the early church, Christians took such passages, and especially Jesus' teaching, so much to heart that they wouldn't even fast on the same day of the weeks as the Pharisees did. Okay, you don't believe me that? Let's go back to a late first century document called the Didache. Okay, his quote from right there from one of the earliest documents. But do not let your fast coincide with those of the hypocrites. They fast on Monday and Thursday, so you must fast on Wednesday and Friday. Okay? Not making these things up. You see, what Jesus is here doing, he's warning us about the appearance of fasting like the hypocrites. But if we go further in that verse, not only does he warn us about the appearance of this hypocritical fasting, but he talks about the reward of this kind of fasting. Let me just read it to you. Simple little, like, eight or nine words. Assuredly, oh, I love that word, right? Assuredly, okay? Confidently. I say to you, they have their reward. When our Lord Jesus said that they have their reward, he didn't use the normal Greek words here. He didn't say they have it or they received it, okay? He didn't want to make it that simple for them, okay? Instead, he used the word that in the Greek lexicon means received in full, To receive in full what is due to them. The NIV says it this way. Truly I tell you they have received the reward in full. Oh, I like this New Living Translation. Usually they don't like it. But here's a message. It's because it's, he, this is how the message, the New Living Translation says. I tell you the truth that is the only reward they will ever get. (laughs) So the point here Jesus was trying to make couldn't be any clearer. The hypocrite aims at impressing men with its supposed spirituality to selfishly pat himself on the back, but in doing so, he receives the only reward he will ever get. In other words... If that is the reward you aimed for, okay, be warned here. If that's the reward you aim at in fasting, that's what you will get and that's all you will get. In other words, the danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful, it aims at the praise of man and it succeeds. But that's all. You see, fasting can be sincere and for proper reasons. But it also can be done for selfish reasons. The first is to please God. The latter isn't. Let me remind you of Zechariah 7, 5. You know, I, wrote you, I, I read you the policy about Wednesday and Friday. But here's, here's Zechariah's response to that. 
He asked those people, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? The question one must ask when fasting deals with our motive. Are you seeking God or are you seeking to manipulate God? Fasting calls us from the preoccupations of body and soul into the day-by-day pressures of life. Fasting summons us into such serious communion with our Lord that we voluntarily abstain from our normal absorption with such needs as food and drink. Fasting is predominantly a private matter. It's an expression of personal devotion linked to generally three major crises, okay? I said generally. It's usually linked to lamentations and penitence, mourning, or prayer. Without exception, fasting has to do with a sense of need and dependence, an adjunct helplessness in the face of actual or anticipated calamity. If you don't believe that, let me give you at least three examples in the Old Testament of how this took place. David. David prayed and fasted over his sick child, weeping, for, weeping before the Lord in earnest intercession. Nehemiah, having heard of Jerusalem's desolation, wept. And what's the next word? Fasted. And prayed that God would give him favor with King Artaxerxes so that he might be able to repair some of it. Esther, under similar circumstances, urged Mordecai and the Jews to fast for her as she planned to appear before her husband, the king. Yes, it is interested. Interesting that the purpose of fasting, if you look in the Bible, is never explicitly stated in the Bible. It doesn't specifically say, you know, this is why we fast. But, if you look at the scriptural examples of fasting, you can connect fasting to praying. Fasting is a means of self-denial that opens ourselves to God. Fasting is a spiritual practice in which believers are given the opportunity to express themselves in an undivided and intensive devotion to the Lord. So as my second Point said, let's be careful in our motives in fasting. Andrew Murray, a great author. If you've never read his books, you need to read his books. He's written wonderful books on prayer. 
His classic book is With Christ in the School of Prayer. He puts it this way before I get to the third and final point of that Jesus admonishes us to heartfelt fasting. Here's what Andrew Murray says about this passage. He says, prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other one which we let go of the visible. Let me... I just want us to really focus on that one, okay? It is, this is extremely. Prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand which, with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other one which we let go of the visible. And nothing is man more closely connected with the world of sense than in the need for and the enjoyment of food, right? How many of us don't like food? Okay, yeah, I, that's what I thought, okay? But food was the fruit with which man was tempted and fell in paradise, right? <laughs> it was with bread that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. But he triumphed because he fasted and he prayed. Fasting helps to express, to deepen, to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. So finally in this passage, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus admonishes us to what heartfelt fasting truly is. Let me read it. But you, when you fast, okay, that again, reminder, right? Anoint your head and wash your face. So that you do not appear to be men, that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. The appearance of true fasting is to fellowship with God and to be concerned with what He thinks, first of all, rather than what anybody else thinks about. It is about bringing glory to Him rather than to ourselves. Jesus' point is that when a hypocrite fasts, and not only does he not conceal it, but he makes it plain to everybody, right? Anybody know what the word hypocrisy means? It just means putting on a mask. It would seem at first glance that anointing your face is hiding from others what you are doing. And so I ask you this question, right? Isn't hypocrisy trying to look different on the outside from what you really are on the inside? Jesus says that hypocrites demonstrate to others that they are fasting. Because as in all the Sermon on the Mount, it was when Duane preached on giving... It was when Matt preached on the hypocrisy of praying wrongly. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is gazing in our hearts. That should say, we should all say, ouch. John Piper again says this, the heart that motivates fasting is supposed to be the heart for God. Fasting in Jesus' way of seeing things is a hunger for God. Or it is worse than nothing. Fasting means love for God, a hunger for God. Therefore, Jesus in this passage says that his disciples should go about their day of fasting just like they do every single day. Right? By washing their faces. Okay, that's the point of that, okay? He also says that they should anoint their heads, which most likely refers to an extra effort to look happy. You know, I think what you see here is that Jesus exhorts even an extra measure of care to one's appearance so that it could not give the slightest hint that one was fasting, okay? He's trying to do the complete opposite of what he just told the hypocrites, okay? Hypocrites do this. Let's go ahead. Okay, let's you be normal. So the goal of true fasting is to be faithful to our Heavenly Father, desirous of pleasing Him rather than men, knowing that He looks not merely on an outward appearance, but upon the heart. Let me remind you of a lesson the prophet Samuel learned when he thought David's older brother, Elab, looked more like a king than David did. Let me read that passage. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is a lesson the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees had clearly forgotten. But with one in which we should never ever forget. When we fast to be seen by God rather than men, he sees what they cannot see. He sees what's is in our hearts. Finally, here's the reward for heartfelt fasting. Last half of verse 18. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. As Jesus teaches it, fasting is an intensely Godward act. Do it towards God who sees when others don't. You know what Jesus is testing us in this passage? He's testing the reality of God in our lives. Are we doing it the right way? Or are we doing it the wrong way? In giving and in praying and in fasting. Do we really have a hunger for God himself or do we have a hunger for human admiration? What Jesus is doing with these words in Matthew 6 is testing our hearts to see if God himself 
our treasure is. I know Matt's going to do that in a couple weeks, okay? Where your heart is, there's your treasure is. He is pressing fasting from the external to the radically internal. And he's trying to make it a sign of true godliness. Because you see, let me give you the definition of fasting to Judaism. Okay? Quoting right out of Josephus. One of the historians. He says, to Judaism, a fast was an outward sign of an inward condition. Sounds good. But here's what Jesus says a fast is. A fast was an inward sign of an inward condition. You see, Jesus is testing to see if the admiration of other people, or even the spiritual fact on others of our piety, has become the God-supplanting food that entices our soul. How do we feel when nobody else knows what we are doing? Are we content in God when only God knows what we're doing? Are we content in secret? Jesus is calling for a radical orientation of God himself. He is pushing here in this passage to have a real, utterly authentic, personal relationship with God. If God is not real to us, personally, vitally real to us, it will be miserable to endure something difficult with God alone. It will all be seemingly very pointless because a lot of us here are looking at the horizontal instead of the vertical. As we fast, we should remember that we are seeking heavenly treasures. In conclusion, oh how easy it is to do religious things like preaching and praying and attending church and reading the Bible and doing acts of kindness. I could go on and on and on and on if other people are watching. The reason for this is not only the combination we might get, but more subtly the sense that the real effectiveness of our spiritual act is on the horizontal axis among people and not the vertical axis with God. You see, if our kids see me pray at meals, it's going to do them good. If the elder sees me fast, they may be inspired to fast also. If my friends see me read my Bible, he may be inspired to read his. In other words, we feel that the value of our devotion is the horizontal effect it has on others. Now, let me make it real plain here. Everything I just said is not bad. Okay, I just want us to make sure, okay? I could see people's minds turning here, okay? But here's the danger. The danger is that all our life starts to be justified and simply on a horizontal level instead of a vertical level and we kind of brush away God.
whether it's in our giving or praying. We think that he is important because all these things are the kind of things he wants us to do. But he himself is falling out of the picture as the focus of it all. This is the kind of thing Jesus warns us to avoid when we give. Okay, that's what Dwayne was trying to say to us. That's what Matt was trying to say, what we're trying to avoid when we pray. And what I'm trying to say when we fast. He never wants us to lose sight of God as a center of our lives. When we get so busy living before and with other people that we really f- miss who fasting needs to be focused on. He never wants us to forget that hypocrisy always begins with a selfish desire to be thought well by others, with a tendency to crowd God out of the very things that God is trying to include. Okay? He didn't give us an option to give, right? We're supposed to give. He didn't give us an option to pray. He didn't say, pray. And he didn't give us an option to fast, right? Let me remind you. And when you fast. (laughs) Remember, Jesus assumes that we will fast. Jesus warns us against hypocritical fasting. But Jesus admonishes us to really do heartfelt fasting. I hope in my last two sentences, I hope today that we will all leave off considering this teaching of our Lord Jesus with the renewed desire that he be first in all that we do. And I hope we will be encouraged to think of fasting as one way to help us in this regard. Just like giving is. We don't have a problem giving. We don't have a problem praying. See? Jesus assumes that we're going to fast too. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words, Lord. First of all, let us turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus, I pray that as we give, as we pray, as we fast, that our minds will not be strictly on the horizontal, but it will be the vertical, giving you all glory and praise. In Jesus' most holy name.